Okay. You're Ready? alive. Yep. Sade. This is a trial. Righteous, a journey, chase, hunt. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promise, promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon Jody. me, but your Jody. commands are my delight. Jody. Your statutes are for forever Jody. right. Jody. Give me understanding oh. that I may live. I'll give it to her. Yes. I'll be back. Okay. She forgot her... Uh, Hearing aids? Hearing aids. Can't hear a thing. Okay. Drive so safely. <laughs> she heard me. I know that. Look at that. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, let's see what we have here. Getting started a minute late today, so I'm a little disorganized. Let's see. Um, uh, I, you know, I have somebody that emailed me a while ago, and she said she shattered her leg. Uh, her name's Terry, and I had no idea what that meant until she sent uh, uh, x-rays of it. Pray for Terry. Wow. I've never seen anything like it in my life. How? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. She shattered her leg, and she told me, and I don't remember. I saw the photos, and I just I lost it. Um, it's her right leg. Um, Sonia needs peace. She's having some troubles in her life, and uh, so she's asking for prayer. And then uh, Jill, her aunt, has gone to hospice. She's a believer, but she's asking for prayer for her mom and uh, herself so they can endure this. So I've got some uh, prayer requests there. And then um, uh, let's see here. I had something that I was, uh, well, okay, I'm a little off. Um, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and read this here. Today is what? It's the 2nd of March. Okay. Oh, that's right, because Hedico's birthday was yesterday. That's right. Okay. 2 March. Um, when a man dies, what he leaves behind bears testimony to who he was. In 1791, John Wesley, the leader of the Methodist revival, was 87 years old with failing health. He hadn't preached in open air. He hadn't preached in the open air as he loved to do for some months. On Wednesday, February 23rd, 1791, Wesley responded to the request of a wealthy London merchant named Belson, whom he hardly knew, to counsel him after his wife's death. The 16 miles from Wesley's house in London to Belson's home in the village of Leatherhead was an arduous trip for an old man. After Wesley counseled him privately for an hour and a half, Belson then informed him that he had sent his servants into the village to invite everyone to come and hear Wesley preach. Crowding into the elegant house, the villagers listened intently as Wesley preached on Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. This was to be John Wesley's last sermon. On Thursday, Wesley's assistant, James Rogers, read to him from a recently published tract by Gustavus Vasa, an African who, sold, who was sold into slavery in Barbados, but then was sent by his master to England, where he became a Christian. The story so moved Wesley that he dedicated a letter to his friend, dictated a letter to his friend, William Wilberforce, 
who was actively fighting in Parliament to abolish the slave trade. Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might, till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away from it. That he who has guided you from youth may up, may continue to strengthen you in this and all things, is the prayer of, dear sir, your affectionate servant, John Wesley. Wesley had difficulty holding the pen to sign his name. This was to be his last letter. By March 1st, John Wesley, who had prepared so many for death, was himself happily awaiting his end. Although he had been speaking very little that afternoon, he decided to get up from bed. He surprised everyone by singing two stanzas of the metrical psalm of Isaac Watts that began, I'll praise my maker while I've breath. He was able to sit up a little while and then had to lie down once again. As his closest friends gathered around him, he was able to say amen to their prayers. At one point, Wesley surprised everyone by saying with a strong voice, the best of all is God is with us. On Wednesday, March 2nd, 1791, his family and friends knelt at his bedside. His last word was farewell. Their sadness was diminished by the knowledge he had entered into the joy of his Lord. In his lifetime, John Wesley had accomplished what few others have, and he died the most well-loved man in England. Beginning at 36, as an itinerant preacher, he traveled 250,000 miles on horseback and preached more than 40,000 sermons to crowds as large as 20,000. He regularly preached three times a day, often beginning at 5 a.m. At the time of his death, there were 79,000 Methodists in England and 40,000 in America. He was the father of the religious paperback, publishing about 5,000 sermons, tracts, and pamphlets. During his lifetime, he lived frugally, giving away nearly $150,000 out of his meager income to spread the gospel. What he left behind was one well-worn coat, two silver teaspoons, and the Methodist Church. Few men influenced the world for good like John Wesley. God used him to change the hearts of so many in England that many historians credit him with preventing the spread of the French Revolution to England. What lessons are there for us in John Wesley's life? Joshua 24:14. honor the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Heavenly Father, we're very thankful to you for your wonderful, precious word and how it's stirred the hearts of so many people over the years. And uh, even John Wesley was a man who found comfort in your word and he told it to many people and he himself was able to hold on to that in his final days. Uh, Lord, your word is precious, it is sacred, it is holy, and it is something that uh, uh, we pray will be handled rightly and with care in this class. And if anything is wrong that we say, please alert us to it so that we would not ever teach something that is contrary to what your word says. Lord, we thank you. We are so grateful to you for this a chance to meet here and to uh, just share in this word and uh, talk about Jesus, our Lord, who is the subject of it. And uh, help us to honor him all the days of our life. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, I watched a video waiting for Hedico last night. She didn't get home until after I went to bed, though, so it was kind of pointless staying up. But um, it was an Indian guy that uh, had a record he sang 21 recorded songs in a single day. Okay, he was sang for Bollywood. And so that movie people would give him songs and he'd sing them. And they said in his lifetime, he sang 40,000 songs. Imagine right, preaching 40, 
thousand sermons. I mean, singing a song that somebody hands you on a sheet is one thing. To do a sermon in the Word of God, 40,000 of them, that's amazing. Who's counting? That's Yeah, who's counting? Man, just amazing. Okay, we are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 1, and we're in verse 4. Aren't we'll start wherever you five, want. But I'll start with, going to start with 4 anyhow. For 4 says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Okay, helps if I'm in the right book. I was in Ephesians at the time. So, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Okay. Um, you know what? We're in 1-5. You're right. Yeah, we are. Yeah, thank you. We are in 1-5. Go ahead and okay, start, read it again. Out of the way, let's yeah. see. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Mm -hmm. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So there you go, a little bit different, not much, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I underlined one four last week because I, what I do when I print these off is I print them off and I make the numbers black and I didn't do it when I printed these off and so I underlined it so I'd know where it was and then I was thinking that was my mark to start next week <laughs> but I realized when it circled that we're starting in one five. Okay, here we go. That's one Thessalonians. Oh, you know what? I, I want to welcome somebody here that uh, I won't say his name because he would not allow me to. Um, but, uh, uh, and I can tell you he's a guitar maker and, uh, he makes wonderful guitars. He wouldn't, he said, I don't want to be on the video. So he's sitting back there. But, um, if you listen to the Superior Word sermons online, you will hear his voice open every single sermon. And I've never met him until today. I mean, we've been friends for years, but today's the first time I actually met him, except I watch his videos and stuff. And, but uh, he is here, and uh, I, I will go this far, because there's about 15 million of them in America. His first name is Kevin. I won't say any more because uh, I don't want to get in trouble, but wonderful, wonderful to have you here. I'm, I'm very honored, and uh, he's got a voice that people always email me and say, is that, um, uh, what's the guy's name that was, uh, his daughter is now the uh, governor of uh, Arkansas, but he Huckabee. was, uh, Huckabee. Everybody says, is that Mike Huckabee that did that? And I'm like, no. But uh, it does sound a bit like Huckabee. But anyway, it's a real pleasure having you here. And he'll be bailing out very quickly to get down to his parents' house where he's heading south. He's from north, and he's heading south. So he stopped by to see us today. Um, okay, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. The words, our gospel, don't indicate that it was a gospel formulated by Paul. I've read people that make commentaries on that and uh, the reason why they do that obviously is because they're hyper dispensationalists and they say that Paul had one gospel and the Jews had another gospel and it was not the same gospel and Jews are saved differently than Gentiles which is absolute nonsense but uh, that is one reason why people do that is because they want to separate the Jews from the Gentiles anyway yes if you've never heard that that's really a teaching our gospel don't indicate that it is gospel formulated by Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, but it is the true, the one and only gospel, which was first preached by them to those at Thessalonica. This occurrence is actually noted in Acts chapter 17, and we'll be there in about two months. I'm, uh, I typed uh, Acts 15.15 15 this morning, 
I will read you that. I was so excited. I, I don't know. Did you look up the verse I sent you yesterday? You didn't. Okay. I sent him I, Acts 15, 14. I typed yesterday. What an exciting verse. Um, Acts 15, 14 says, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Okay. Kind of innocuous sounding verse, but if it's translated properly, which this is not, it makes a completely different understanding of what is being said. So um, what you can do if you want to know how to properly translate is just go get the Bible translations, uh, go to uh, biblehub.com and they have like 45 different translations and you can compare them and you'll find out which one, uh, how they differ. Um, obviously if I read you this one and it's wrong, then the other one is correct. Um, but it makes all the difference in the world in theology. I was so excited about that verse, Acts 15, 14. Uh, that'll be out in about 11 days. But yes. for now, we're in Acts 17, and we want to read just verses 1 through 3. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. I'll go in because it's still in uh, Thessalonica. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. And then of course, this happens again and again in the book of Acts, but the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and on and on from there, okay? Uh, you know, if you've read the book of Acts through, it happens again and again. Wherever Paul goes, he uh, always has people fighting against him and what he's telling them, but he always starts with the Jewish synagogue, if there is one, and he talks to them first, and uh, when they finally have had enough of him, he goes off somewhere else and he teaches those who do believe, and that's what is going on right here, Acts 17, one through three. It is the gospel of Jesus which did not, this is Paul's words, did not come to you in word only. These men came to Thessalonica with the intent of sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And they did it with words. This is the way in which the gospel is transmitted. It is a message which must be conveyed in order for others to understand. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I mentioned it in a couple of recent commentaries, which I don't know if they're published yet or not. But we have two different types of revelation from God. Actually, we've got several, but the two main ones, uh, anybody tell me what they are? Two types of revelation. General. General and specific. That's right. General revelation is something that God has made available to all people. There's a tree over there. Why is there a tree instead of nothing? Why are we here? And we can deduce things about what God is doing by understanding that there's a tree, which means there's ground in which the tree is, and that's on a planet which is spinning around, and we can tell all kinds of things about how God works, how logical God is, how the wisdom of God. We can tell all of these things. Um, uh, Aristotle, 250 or so years before the coming of Christ, outside of the covenant people, was able to use general revelation and he was able to deduce things about God that people within Christianity cannot figure out to this day. In other words, they're not willing to. It's not that they can't. But he was able to come this close to understanding the nature of God, that God is pure act. There's no uh, potential in God at all. He's pure act, pure actuality, okay? 
And we can tell these things without ever having the word of God. We can say, well, if God exists and there's uh, time, space, and matter, then that means that he must exist before those things and therefore he's outside of them. And then we can make all kinds of conclusions about what he is like. And people have been doing that, but people like Aristotle were very, very good at it. And the funny thing about Aristotle was that he was told once that women have fewer teeth than men. And he never checked it out to see if it was true. He just, so his writings are filled with typical people's ideas. Well, yeah, women have less teeth than men because he never stopped and said, well, let's count his and hers and, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, but uh, at the same time, he could think really, really deep thoughts from general revelation, things that are still studied to this day. And the uh, uh, great philosopher Thomas Aquinas built on Aristotle's work actually calling him the, what did he call him? The philosopher, I think is, he used the term and always capitalized it because he understood the magnitude of uh, Aristotle's mind, the thinking that he had. But the other type of revelation is general, I'm sorry, specific revelation. It is something that you cannot deduce unless God tells it to you, unless God reveals it to you. And so when a prophet, a true prophet of the Lord, like Jeremiah would come forth and say, thus says the Lord, now, they may have been able to understand that they were not right with the Lord, but he is giving them special revelation. God is going to do this if you don't conform. And so when he said there will be 70 years of exile for the people of Israel, after 70 years of exile for the people of Israel, what did Daniel do? He said, the prophet Jeremiah said, let me read it to you. This is general, I'm sorry, this is special revelation. It's something that uh, you cannot deduce apart from God revealing it. The gospel is special revelation, okay? You would never have been able to deduce it without God telling you. But in Daniel chapter 9, he says right here, um, starts it out and he says, um, uh, in the, this is verse 2, 9-2, in the first year of his reign, uh, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. God said it would happen. It happened, and so Daniel said, it's time for me to start praying to get us back to the land of Israel. He understood that God's special revelation was something that was true. It was as true as the tree standing outside that you can make all these uh, logical deductions about God over. So you've got general revelation, you've got special revelation. And from there, it says, uh, read it again, it is this gospel of Jesus which did not come to you in word only. These men came to Thessalonica with the intent of sharing the message of Jesus Christ, and they did it with words. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Okay, this is the way in which the gospel is transmitted. That's the way that we understand the specific revelation of God. That's what the Bible is. It is God's specific revelation of himself to the people of the world. Here's how you got into the mess. Here's what I'm going to do about your situation, and here's what it will be like when I have cured the problem that is in you, okay? We wouldn't be able to deduce any of that without God revealing it to us, and yet he has revealed it to us, okay? Uh, it, this is a message that must be conveyed in order for others to understand. In the case of Thessalonica, though, it came with more than just words, but also in power, the word is dunamis, which I, I bring up from time to time is the root of what word? Yeah, that's right, dynamite. It's, the, it's, it's power. 
okay? Uh, when people in the uh, 16, 17, 1800s were developing new things, they were coming up with new technologies or new medicines, they would always go to the Greek. Not always, but quite often they would go to the Greek and they would say, I need a word that suits this situation, okay? And so when he came up with dynamite, he went to the Greek and dynamis, and he says, well, that's a great word to apply to what I've discovered. Okay, so our language is literally filled with these Greek things, and we hear them all the time, and we don't even realize that they come from Greek. Okay, uh, it's a Greek word, dunamis, which in this sense gives the idea of efficacy. It had the ability to perform what was presented by converting the minds and souls of those who heard it. Okay, there is no reason to assume that power, the word power here indicates physical manifestations of conversion. As seen from the citation above, they reason with them from the scriptures. The power to convert was found in the word and in the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's words, and in the Holy Spirit. The reason why I say it wasn't necessary to have this, these demonstrations of power to convert people is because if you go back in the book of Acts, I think it was chapter 13 or 14, uh, which we did over the past couple months, the um, uh, people in the synagogue, Paul went to the synagogue in Pisidia of Antioch and he told them the gospel. And the, there were people that were converted and there were people that were not converted. And it says that uh, the Lord was working through Paul and Barnabas with great signs and wonders, okay? And it never says in the Bible that people were converted by those signs and wonders. He was doing it among the disciples. He wasn't doing it among the Jews. They couldn't have cared. They rejected Jesus' signs and wonders one after another. Signs and wonders are not given to convert people to Christianity. If people would understand that, we wouldn't have all of the teachings that we do in the church today. They were never intended for that purpose. They were there to confirm the work of the apostles. That is what they were for. Okay, so if you're heading to a church that has signs and wonders, and that is converting people, it's a false church. That's never something you're gonna see in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite of what the Bible presents again and again and again. People are converted by hearing the word and putting their faith in Jesus Christ, and there is no other way, no other way to be converted than the way that God has laid down in his word. He says that's the way he's gonna do it, then that's the way it's gonna be. Okay, so remember that when people say, I was in a church and they had signs and wonders and people were converting by the thousands. It's not true, okay? Um, uh, so there is, a, yes, and power and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the source of the Word, and He is the one who makes the Word understandable to those who hear it, converting them and sealing them when the Word is believed. That's the job of the Spirit. There are all kinds of jobs of the Spirit, but those are two of the uh, jobs of the Spirit. When a person believes, that person is converted, meaning he is sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. After belief, it's a guaranteed thing, and then from there, if the person is willing to pursue the Word, that person will grow in the Word. The more attentiveness they apply to the Word, the more time they spend in the Word, the more they talk to the Lord about His Word, the more they are going to have the Word revealed to them. But it is the Spirit's job to illuminate the Word that has been given. God's word. The Spirit gave the word. The word is intended to be understood. It's not intended to be misunderstood. And so that is what the Spirit does. This conversion is a demonstration of the Spirit. When a person sees the complete change in another, 
that person will realize that it was more than just a personal choice, but a truly miraculous event. And that is something that you hear that all the time where people will give their testimony and other people will see that and they'll say, I can't believe the change that I've seen in this person, okay? And families see the change in, you know, what happened to him? This isn't the guy that was out smoking pot last week or taking drugs or doing whatever he's doing. All of a sudden he's a converted person and they're watching to see if it's real. They're watching to see if the change has been affected in them or if it's just a show and eventually they realize this person really has had a change in his life okay that person hasn't become perfected none of us are perfected in this life and we're all going to fall short i was watching um who was i watching um uh it was youtube oh alice cooper if you know who he is the rocker he's a christian he's converted to christianity and I think it was Greg Laurie or somebody, I don't know these people, but anyway, I think that's who it was. Somebody was interviewing him. And they were both sitting there talking about the sin in their lives. Alice Cooper loves the Lord. He wants to honor the Lord. He says, I try constantly to uh, get the sin out of my life. And he says, the one thing that I ask the Lord all the time is don't let me have a presumptuous sin against you. You know, I wake up in the morning, I'm gonna do this thing, and then I go do it, okay? He said, I, I, I just feel like completely off if I have that type of a sin in my life. And so they're talking about that. But if anybody knew who Alice Cooper was before he came to Christ, you'd be astonished. Well, I, I can't believe it. This, this guy is a Christian. You know, I mean, Alice, does everybody here know who Alice Cooper is? If not, just type it into your scroll school's bar. School's out forever. School's out for summer. Uh, if school's 18. out. Yeah, that's right. All these songs. And he, you know, he had his face painted and he was... Anyway, now he's uh, he's uh, a converted person. Yeah, just yeah. it's amazing to see. But people will check that, and they'll when somebody like Alice Cooper trips up, oh, everybody's going to barbecue him, especially the Christians. They're going to tear the guy apart, saying he was never a faithful Christian. I guarantee you, the people that type those commentaries and those news articles are a lot worse off than Alice Cooper is because they have a high feeling of themselves when they're just like everybody else. They're sinning just like everybody else. So the Spirit does not perfect us in this life. Uh, what does it say in uh, uh, John? If you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. You're a liar, okay? We do have sin. It's something that we need to deal with until we get out of these sin sacks that we're in. So, um, yeah, the person realizes it was more than just a personal choice, but a truly miraculous event. The sex addict, the drunkard, the morally perverse, Alice Cooper, these people become a witness to the power of the Holy Spirit when they have a complete break from the path they were on because of hearing and receiving the gospel message. Paul then says that the gospel also came in much assurance. When the message was heard, there was no doubt. The changes were sufficient to provide complete assurance that the power of God is truly found in the gospel message. It is a mystery which, when revealed in the longing human soul, has the ability to fully convert and completely convince. I know that's true personally. Now, I have said it before, and I honestly think I was probably saved when I was 14. Okay, it was in the back of a uh, yellow Datsun B210 after going to the Tabernacle Church here in Sarasota. All right, and, but eventually I got so far away from the Lord that I couldn't have told you up from down. And I actually had people that came from the school that my children went to. They went to a Christian school and they came by and they said, we want to talk to you. And they said they talked to me about Jesus. 
I don't even remember those people coming to the house. They said this to me years later, and they said, oh, yeah, we were at your house. You got such a nice place, and blah, 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 blah. I, I don't even remember them being there. That's how far in the darkness I was. And then one day I realized that I needed Jesus, and as I have said, you know Mary, she said the same thing when we were in uh, class one day, everything was better. Uh, the, the sky, I looked up and I said, there's actually a blue sky up there, it was so beautiful. You know, you're living in darkness, you're not thinking about the things that God has created. You're not thinking about the beauty of the leaves in different times of the year, like right now the oak leaves are coming out. They're all falling, billions of oak leaves and everybody's sneezing because of the pollen. But at the same time, these little green leaves are coming out. And they're so shiny and they're so light green that when you drive around, they, they almost hurt your eyes as the sun shines off of them. And it's so beautiful. I never saw any of that for like 20 years of my life. I didn't see any of that. All I saw was just nothing. And things smelled better. Things were just bright and cheery. And just a total new appreciation for who God is. Okay. And that's what it is when you come to realize that you are just a sinful person that needs Jesus. And that's not just getting saved. Like I said, I was probably saved when I was 14, but it's staying in that. Because what does it say in 2 Peter 1, 9? What does it say there? If I was saved at 14, it sure speaks of me. I'll tell you that right now. 2 Peter. And it says there, second epistle of Peter, 2 Peter 1, for he who lacks these things, all the things that he says to do after getting saved, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, exactly how I was, blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, if I was saved when I was 14, and I have every reason to believe it from what people tell me when I was in school and uh, etc., but... I walked so far away from the Lord, I had forgotten everything that I had had in my head, okay? And I was blinded, just like it says, he's even to blindness. And all of a sudden, the veil was taken away, and I turned back to the Lord at 36, and it was the most wonderful experience ever. And I thought, that's all I want to do with the rest of my life, is tell people about Jesus. That's all I want to do. You know, I uh, thought, you know, originally, or not originally, but after a while, I decided I wanted to be a Wycliffe Bible translator and I went to Wycliffe and I went through all the courses and you know I two-week indoctrination and all that kind of stuff and I was ready to sign up and go and Hedico said well I don't want to go overseas she'd just come back from nine years overseas and I said as I said to my friend back here uh, earlier today I said it was like turning off light switch he gave me her first so obviously this is not what the Lord wants me to do and so uh, no more Wycliffe Bible translator. But uh, we have somebody that we support from this church that is in Papua New Guinea, and he is currently going there to translate a Bible translation to people that have never heard it in the Word. So I'm still in Bible translations. It's just a little bit removed. Anyway, um, uh, and, you know, when we do the sermons and when I do the commentaries, I always go to the original, and, you know, I try to figure out if what they have said in this translation is correct or not. And... Uh, as I said, in Acts 15, 14, go read the variations and then think on it before we get there. We'll be there in, like I said, maybe 11 days. And completely different. I've read this Bible and these versions that have this uh, many times. And so I had something in my head that this is what it means. Then when I sat down to do the evaluation of it, I'm like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And so um, I'm going to evaluate it, but I don't know why it says it the way it does. 
Well, it doesn't say it at all in the Greek. Okay, I think four literal translations and two Catholic translations are the only translations that did it properly. Okay, and so that's something that I so much enjoy is finding out what God is telling us in his word without people's presuppositions and biases. Uh, did you go to that verse and look at it? Oh, okay. I thought you, I saw you doing something over there. I thought maybe you were Second looking. Peter 1, 9. Oh, 2 Peter 1, 9. Yes. Very good. Um, uh, oh, you know what? If you're going to turn on that camera and shine it on people today, don't shine it back there because somebody doesn't want to be on it. Just oh, so you know. Oh, okay. I just want to make, I forgot to tell you that. And, uh, not even uh, that one? Yeah. We, we got some camera shy people here. So, all right. So uh, let's see here. Um, uh, Paul then says that the gospel also came in much assurance. Okay, when the message was heard, there was no doubt. The changes were sufficient to provide complete assurance that the power of God is truly found in the gospel message. Okay, I can assure you, having been around the world, at least the eastern half of the world, and been around many, many different religious expressions, okay, that there is no power in those religious expressions. There is rote religion, there is uh, the uh, attempt to please God in this way or that way or one way or another. It is always based on self, always based on self and what I'm going to do to make God happy, okay? Or why God is so happy with me because of who I am. That's always the way. I, every religion that I've come across and every religion on this planet will follow the same theme and it begins with the word I, okay? It doesn't convert anything. It doesn't have any power in it because we have no power in and of ourselves. We're weak, we're fallen, we're sinful, okay? But there is power in the message because it is based on God, it is from God, it is granted by God, and the only thing we have to do is believe it. And because God is all-powerful, there is power in the message of the gospel. It is a mystery which when revealed in the longing human soul has the ability to fully convert and completely convince. I read you on, I don't think it was last Sunday, maybe two Sundays ago, about the Hindu, that the Jesus film that we keep sending, uh, uh, people keep sending money for to uh, be played in Pakistan. And every time we have this Jesus film, somebody writes a personal letter. Sometimes they'll send their own photo with the translation from their letter telling how the gospel has changed their lives. I'm a Hindu. I tried my best all my life to please God. I was so scared of him. There was no, no friendship between God. There was no hope. And all I could do was just keep doing things. And they find out that you don't have to do anything. God has done the doing. It's all done. And so they feel this freedom and this conversion in their lives. Now imagine that. It, there's nothing else like it in the world. This message was presented by these men, and not as a con game or a scam, but as Paul says, as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. Paul is saying, he's writing these people. He could not say these words if they were not true because the people that he is writing to are the people that he is talking about. As you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. They know he couldn't have written those words otherwise and so it, the text itself validates that the text is true. And he does this in all of his letters. When he writes these things, they're self-validating. And then of course, Paul, is written about by Peter, okay? And Peter is there in the Gospels. And then you have everything weaves together in the Bible so that if you take out one little part of it, the whole thing will just unravel. But everything is secure. Everything is, you know, composite and it's held together 
perfectly. All right. Their lives and actions substantiated that what they spoke was true. They didn't just preach the gospel. They also lived it out. They were interested in saving souls for Christ, not getting rich off of him. They were industrious, dedicated, and sincere. The very fact that Paul continued his outreach to them after he had gone, meaning in letter, shows that his concern for them was true. His letters to them and to all of the churches show that he desired that they would remember the gospel, be firm in their convictions, and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just the churches he did. When he writes to Timothy, he's the same way. Oh, Timothy, guard the trust that has been entrusted to you. I know he misquoted that, but he is always bringing it back to the word. Bring it back to the word because the word is what reveals Jesus Christ. Nothing else does. There's no other way that we will ever know anything about Jesus unless we get it from this word. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry for people that believe that, but there's no other way that we will get information about Jesus. There's like two secular sentences in all of the writings of antiquity that talk about a man named Jesus. And that would be about as much doctrine as you're gonna get about hearing from uh, less than felonious fog or somebody from one of these books that's made up okay there's nothing about Jesus anywhere except in the word all right and so if you want to know about Jesus if you want to know about doctrine if you want to know about the gospel about the power of God in specific revelation this is it and nothing else okay that's why I say when you uh, go to an Islamic country and they pull out the Quran you're not going to find anything out about God from the Quran. You're not going to find anything out about God from the writings of Lao Tse or Buddha or Krishna or anybody else. It's not going to happen because God did not reveal himself through those books. A false God, yes, but not the true God. And therefore, if you want to know about God outside of general revelation, this is it. Nothing else. Okay? Um, his letters to them and to all of the churches show that he desired that they would remember the gospel, be firm in their convictions, and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he wants. This is what he hoped for. This was what his life was dedicated to. Such actions as these prove that he and those with him were not deceivers. Instead, they were sincere messengers of the most marvelous news of all which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been going through the Old Testament now for about 10 years. We're already up to the book of Joshua and everything in those sermons, everything comes back to Jesus again and again and again. That's it. There's nothing else out there like this word because at all point, what did he say? He said it himself in John 5, 39. He said it again down in uh, 46 or something. Uh, the first time he said it, uh, you search the scriptures because you uh, think that they, uh, in them you have eternal life, but they are, let me read it to you. Uh, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Well, he's talking about, there was no New Testament. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures. They testify of Jesus. And then he goes down in verse 46, for if you believed Moses, which is where we've been for how many years, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Okay, the entire Bible is about Jesus. Every single bit of it, okay? Um, 
I was preparing next week's sermon, not, not Sunday's, but next week's sermon uh, today. I was getting it ready and I was taking care of all the type of typographical errors and errors in thinking that somebody helps me with and which I was in thoroughly embarrassed once again how poor I think when you know I would have caught some of these when I was practicing it anyway but most of them I would not have you know you just when you type something you read over what you have typed not realizing it so um, the uh, uh, the sermon for next week, I was so excited to read it. It was, you know, I typed it like 10 weeks ago and I kept thinking to myself, I don't even remember typing this. I mean, it's just such a wonderful word. It's just, I'm talking about the Bible itself and then the evaluation of it. I'm like, I don't even remember typing this or thinking this. And yet there it is. It's this, uh, I don't know if you remember, Sergio, I emailed you about a question in there and I just said it's only like four verses and I said something and uh, anyway I just whatever it just what a word it's just astonishing every time you go to it it is all about Jesus anyway life application what a shame that people love a sensational side of religion whether it's a crazy analysis of a passage such as looking for aliens or UFOs in certain verses or whether it is to fawn over someone who claims to have powers to heal or speak in garbled tongues that only he understands. It is not a sound way of approaching theology. Okay, when I talk about healing, I believe in healing. That's why Paul says that we should pray is because we want the Lord to heal. I do not believe in faith healers, but I believe in faith healing. Okay. And uh, the Bible has nothing to say about UFOs or aliens, okay? But that's a very common thing, especially if you go to the History Channel. They love to insert that in there with people's very deep theology, okay? And um, speaking in tongues, the word tongues means Language. languages. It doesn't mean anything else, okay? It's a terrible shame that years and years and years ago, probably back at the Geneva Bible or maybe even before that, somebody translated the word as tongues. And it's been kept that way ever since. And it has nothing to do with what goes on in churches today. Nothing, okay, zero. It is a known language. It is something that is conveyed. That's what the word means. And when people start that crazy talking in a church, all it does is diminish the beauty of what God has given us in his word. That's all it does, okay. Um, rather, God's demonstration of power is grounded in reality and it is evidenced in converted lives which are holy, sound, reasonable, and dedicated to Jesus Christ. Let us live out our Christian walk in such a manner so that we too will be responsible bearers of this marvelous message. You mentioned general revelation. Yes. All these smart men that you mentioned, I'm not among those. But I know where Psalms 19 is. Oh, absolutely. And Psalm 19 is, it explains general revelation in God's general, rev, I'm sorry, specific revelation. So that's absolutely right. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto night, it utters speech. And night, under night, uh, night unto night, it utters knowledge. Because that's what general revelation does. It says, I am God and I will do this. We were talking about this uh, before class started, that we have a, you know, we're talking specifically about college and how they try to say that logic is contrary to faith, okay? And therefore, people that go to college inevitably get taken away from faith in the Bible. 
nowadays I'm talking about because they say they're mutually exclusive and you cannot you know be a reasonable person of logic if you have faith in the Christian message and my argument was that you know I see that right there that is a chair logically I know that I can look at it and I can see the shape of it I can know that it's soft because of how it looks I can do all kinds of things just by looking or handling that chair okay that is logical that is reasonable but there's a couple things about that chair that I can't know that I can't see I can't know who made that chair but I know somebody made that chair I can't know if that chair is going to hold me when I sit in it but by looking at it I can make a reasonable logical deduction that that will hold me and so I sit in it that is faith there's logic does not exclude faith logic leads to faith that's all there is to it it's who was it that um, somebody gave the comparison of sitting down to a great meal you know I this is a great meal and you, I, I read this on an email or something or I don't know Reagan. something what Reagan said, it. Reagan said it yeah okay so uh, I know that there's this great meal I know that it's delicious and I also know that if I go into the kitchen, somebody will be there preparing. I'm paraphrasing or I'm saying it wrong, but you get the idea. Somebody, that meal didn't just create itself. And when you look around at the world and you see how everything is balanced and everything is intricately positioned, everything works according to a set standard. The moon rises when it's full in the evening. It's been happening for eons. That's, you know, that's what happens. Everything works according to a plan a devised plan and not an accidental plan that ought to be obvious even to a fool and yet we deny that God is the one that did these things okay it's exactly what Burke just said you know the heavens declare the glory of God and then what does Psalm 14 1 say the fool says in his heart there is no God that's right that's because it's so obvious and so the Bible has the right to call people a fool because they've denied the very fundamental thing that humans should be avowing, which is there is a God. Anyway, 1-6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Okay, a little different, not much. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the word followers gives a sense of imitation or emulation. It is used by Paul five times and once by the author of Hebrews. Those who come to faith in Christ became imitators of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, as just described in the previous verse. In so doing, they became imitators of them and of the Lord. These three men were imitators of Christ Jesus and those in Thessalonica followed suit, striving to emulate him through the example they had seen in these three ministers of the gospel. Those in the church perceived the contrast between the infinitely glorious Lord and their own fallen conduct. They noted how Paul and those with them lived entirely different than the world at large, having submitted to Christ, and then they emulated what they saw. Okay, this is the purpose of conversion is to emulate what is told you. This is what Jesus did for you. It's now time for you to live as Jesus would have asked you. Okay? 
Paul then notes they did this by Paul's words, having received the word in much affliction. This affliction is partly referred to in Acts 17, 5 through 9, which I think I read some of that a minute ago. I went ahead in there, but um, such an exciting passage in Acts 17, 5 through 9. And we'll get back here in a second, 14, 15, 16, 17. And he says there, um, but the Jews, yes, that's what I read, who are not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and a gathering, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Okay, so what happens time and time and time again in the Bible is that these Jews try to disassociate Paul from their faith. And so they say things that are contrary to what Paul and those with him proclaimed. Paul never said there was another king in the place of Caesar. I'm certain he did say that Jesus is the king, but he's not here to rule on the earth, okay? He is our king, immortal, uh, however he says it in uh, Timothy. But um, uh, having said that, they are trying to distance the apostles and their message from the Jewish religion. And time and time and time again in the book of Acts, what happens when they try to do that? Well, they multiply, but what I'm thinking of is that the whoever the person is that's in charge at the time, the ruler that they bring the appeal to, always sides with Paul because they understand that this is a offshoot of Judaism. And so, the, not the whole point, but one of the main points of the book of Acts is to define whether Acts is religio, whether Christianity is religio licita or religio illicita, meaning is it a valid religion or is it an invalid religion within the Roman Empire, okay? And time and time and time again, the people side with Paul saying that this is a legitimate religion that you are practicing because it comes under the umbrella of Judaism. And because it does, it means that if it is true, which we know it is, but if it is true, then that means that they have a right to their religious expression and also, if it is true, it means that the Messiah has come through Jesus Christ or in the person of Jesus Christ through Judaism. He is the fulfillment of that. And that's why Acts continuously, the Jews are trying to disassociate Paul from their society is because by doing that, it would quell any notion that the Messiah had come. Okay, and what have they been doing for the past 2000 years? Exactly the same thing. Their writings in the uh, Mishnah and the uh, uh, Gemara, which are the Talmud, are denying of Jesus. Okay, when you talk to a Jew today, they will generally say, "Well, no, he was a, he was a Christian." They don't even know that he came from the from Judaism; that he was a, a you know believer in Moses. So they've got all these things. If you talk to some Jews, they think that the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and Mary. 
okay? They've got all these things that they have been taught in the synagogue to disassociate Jesus from their faith. And it can't be done because Jesus descended from their faith. He is the fulfillment of it. Not only that, he's the author of it, okay? So uh, here we have these things going on in the Bible, and Acts 17, 5 through 9 is a perfect example of it. There was a great conflict over the presentation of the gospel. That conflict was initiated by the Jews, who refused to believe, and it caused no little consternation. But those who did believe were actually strengthened in their faith, as Burke said, through this, even to the possessing the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul's words. The furnace of affliction can and often does produce great joy in those who are so afflicted. This is all the more true for those who are in Christ. They see the conflict around them and are comforted that this world is just a temporary abode. The promise which is found in Christ Jesus transcends this walk of woe. Thank goodness for that, because it is a walk of woe. Even on a good day, it can be bad. And when the day is bad, all you want to do is say, just, you know, Jesus, when are you going to come? Well, people have been asking that for 2,000 years, so it's kind of unfair for us to just say, well, you know, you're overdue, okay? <laughs> He's going to come when he comes. The Lord is going to return for his people. But when we're in this life, there's all kinds of things that bring us down. It is a life full of woe, all right? And, you know, life goes along really well, and the next thing you know, it's going along very poorly, okay? And you think, oh, I just want to be out of here. But if you are grounded in your faith, the one thing you will not do is lose your faith, okay? I've heard of people that went to church all their lives, and they lost their wife, and the next thing they do is they walk away from the Lord. Where is your grounding, right? It's very sad to lose your wife. It's very sad to lose a child. It's very sad to lose, you know, whatever. But they're part of creation. That's all they are. That's all any of us are. We're just a part of the created order. And someday we're all going to go through that with somebody or with something, whether it's our house or whether whatever, okay? And if you are not grounded in your faith, then you will end up walking away. And what a sad testimony that is. You need to be grounded, just like John Wesley. They were talking about John Wesley. And I disagree with a lot of that guy's doctrine, okay? But the one thing he was able to do was tell them that there is something better than this world. And these people love that message. They love the fact that this world is not all there is. Um, you know, I was taking a shower today, and I was, you know, after the mall, and I, was, I got an outdoor shower I put in about five minutes after we moved into the house. It's my favorite place in the property. And um, so I was out there and I was thinking, how nice it is to have this shower. And I was thinking of the people like in Israel, okay? It hasn't rained in, you know, three and a half years under Elijah. Or sometimes it didn't rain for a whole year. Sometimes it says it rained in this town, but not in this town, you know? And, and I just think it's such a pleasure to be able to take a shower. And people that can't do that, you know, they, if they did, they had to carry water from a well and take it home. And, you know, 10 times they had to carry these, whatever. We've got it so good, okay? And yet this is just temporary stuff. It's, it's just stuff. And if we lose it all and we still have the Lord, then we haven't lost anything, all right? John Wesley apparently was very good about conveying that to people, and people need to take it to heart. This is just temporary. It's just stuff, okay? We were talking about the guy, uh, what was it, last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago that uh, was in Burma, and he was arrested, the, the preacher, and they were hanging him up, and he was being bit by mosquitoes, and he couldn't scratch it. 
you know, now we got off the keeps the mosquitoes off completely, right? I just, okay. The promise which is found in Christ Jesus transcends this walk of woe and it gives us comfort and even joy to know that we will be granted something far, far better when this earthly walk is complete. Won't that be great? But right now we gotta live through this, this walk. The choicest and richest, richest blessings lie ahead for those in Christ. And so the joy of that thought is where we can put our hopes when the troubles of this world hem us in. That is what those in Thessalonica came to understand. Yes? They, came to, they got a pat on the back even though these guys were, were coming to try to eradicate them. The, the disciples there, they said, you've turned the world upside down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so they, they recognized, they recognized that they had had an effect. Yeah. Paul and Timothy and Silas and whoever else was there had turned the world upside down. They were afraid of that. You know, they saw the people in the synagogues, these people coming in as proselytes, and next thing you know, they're losing numbers because the proselytes are turning to Christ, and even some of the congregation. What, what is it, Crispus? Uh, uh, wasn't he the synagogue ruler, and he came to Christ? Was it Crispus or one of them, Gaius? Anyway, one of them. Um, so, you know, and people don't like that. They don't like the fact that a message is having an effect. But once again, you know, the message of Joseph Smith had an effect. The message of Ellen G. White had an effect, didn't it? It was just a negative effect because people weren't in this. They weren't grounded in this. And when you have something that is contrary to this word or somebody says is extra to this word, don't believe them. That's how you end up in a cult is by following that type of a path. Either the word of God is sealed, and it is, or it's not, and if it's not, then we have no grounding in anything at all, none. Because when Joseph Smith comes along and says, this is the word of God, you have absolutely no reason to disbelieve it if you believe that God is still revealing himself to us. You have no reason to not believe that. David Koresh, lots of people died under him, right? Jo uh, Jonestown, you know, these people had an effect. It just wasn't a positive effect. The Bible, on the other hand, has a positive effect. Okay, um, life application. As a believer in Christ, we have the same troubles and trials as anyone else in the world. We are not exempt from times of sickness, loss, and frustration. Okay, uh, people in some of these churches are, that are, you know, uh, abundant life type of churches and prosperity gospel churches and that kind of stuff, it's like they expect that they should have no troubles in their life, that they, you know, are gonna get rich that's, you know, there's a church here in Sarasota that says that, you know, this is the purpose of, of Christ is to become wealthy, right? What kind of a hope is that when you're in a world that does not ever provide that, all right? However, these times of trial are temporary, talking about the sickness, loss, frustration, etc., and will someday be behind us. For the world at large who believe this is all there is, of course bad times are a reason for being down. There's nothing else to look forward to. And so any troubles rob them of the precious few moments that they believe they possess. But for those in Christ, a life of troubles is a moment which will pass away into eternal glory someday. Oh, faithful Christian, don't let the world overcome your joy. Instead, because you have overcome the world, be filled with joy. This is what God 
would ask us is to be filled with joy. Even when things are terrible, even when things are miserable and horrible, you can still be filled with joy. And I absolutely am convinced, because this is what the Bible teaches, that you cannot lose your salvation. You can sure lose your joy in this world, and you can lose rewards in the next, but the Bible teaches that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And if you could lose your salvation, it would, one, prove that God made a mistake, that God doesn't know the end from the beginning, and therefore that is not the God of the Bible. It would also, too, it would prove that uh, your salvation is up to you. It's not up to God, and the guarantee that you possess is no good. All right? And third, it would prove that the guarantee you have is not a guarantee at all. Yes? This question, so what about, I had a conversation with somebody who uh, was saying that, okay, you can't lose a salvation, but maybe they were not saved in the well, that, that, that's possible. That, I don't read the heart and mind. That's all I know. People ask that a lot. And the other one, which is absolutely inane, is they say, well, people want to give up their salvation, willingly give it up, and God will accept that. Once again, that shows a lack of sovereignty in the mind of God, and it also um, is insane, okay, because anybody that is standing at the abyss of the lake of fire is going to say, I claim the guarantee that I was given. Okay, that's all there is to it. All right, so that's not even normal theology. But your question is correct. There are people that probably think they're saved. Well, you know, what do you do? You got people walking around in the Jehovah's Witnesses right now that think they're saved, okay? And then they come and they find out about Jesus, the real Jesus that is the God-man that came into the stream of humanity to pay their sin debt, and they don't have to work their way to heaven anymore. And all of a sudden, they realize that they need Jesus. So it can happen. It can happen anywhere. People can sit in a Presbyterian church or in this church or wherever, and they can think they're saved and not be saved. But that is not me. I, I'm not the judge of that. I'm not the one, you know, I can't say, well, you're not saved. But we can say that a shipwreck, Oh yeah. which you and I can say that from our teens, early teens, that we, I believe, but That's then right. it was like off to... Total shipwreck. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, that's it. But and it's that not, is it's it. Not, it's not a loss of salvation. No. That's another one they'll fall back on. They'll say, well, he shipwrecked his faith. It's like, well, does that mean? Yeah, well, <laughs> what, what does that mean? I've it's like, to someone who said they shipwrecked, it means they were never saved. Otherwise, they would have fruits of the Spirit. No, that, that, that is kind of like, um, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, the seminary I went, was in would say, well, you know, uh, you, salvation will naturally lead to good works. Yeah. In other words, you, you have a, a demonstration of it. Well, my question has always been, what works? Mm. You define my salvation now. You're the determiner of that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in the Bible that ever says that. And 2 Peter 1 yeah. down through 9 completely refutes that. It's absolutely false teaching. Okay. Um, didn't he didn't have time for works. That's right. So I mean, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of logical arguments from Scripture on that. But you know, if somebody says that, you just say, okay, what works? You define my salvation now, and I'll follow you. That's crazy. So anyway. Well, yeah, they they the 144,000 claim that they know who they are and i was when i went to the kingdom hall for about 3 months when i first you know was reading the bible and i didn't know anything i was like okay i'm going to go down there and see what they do and they had a guy in their church and everybody pointed Oh, he's one of the 144,000. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine the, the BS that he must have been putting out? Unbelievable. Because I wasn't one of them. Yeah. It just, the whole thing, the whole thing is he just didn't bad. like the view but from the inside the, the hall. The problem with that, though, 
the problem with that, the problem with Mormonism, the problem with uh, Methodism, the problem with any church is what? People. <laughs> not, not knowing this word, that's the problem. That is the problem, okay? If I am teaching something wrong right now, it is because I'm not in this word enough and I've not evaluated it properly. The problem is me. The problem is not this word, okay? The Jehovah's Witnesses have taken and manipulated and misanalyzed this word. You know, and, and what do they tell you? They'll tell you the same thing that Mormons will, but um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses in particular have their translation, which they say is the one correct translation. What Bible were they using when it was founded? The King James Version. Every major cult in the 1800s came out of the King James Version, right? So the Bible translation isn't the problem. The problem is people not being schooled in the Word. Okay, that's the problem. All right, whether it's a New King James Version or the NIV or whatever. Those are just human translations of a perfect word that God has given us that we need to study and show ourselves approved in. And that's why you, if you have the time, go back and read the Hebrew or the Greek and do a study on it, okay? Or go to a church where they do that. That's, that's how you get your theology down properly. But as far as eternal salvation, once again, we are given a deposit, a guarantee, okay? Who has the right to that? The Lord. No. We do. That is ours. When you go to a bank with a deposit, the bank doesn't, they owe you. That is yours. That's the fallacy of people not understanding salvation. That belongs to me. It's a guarantee. And so when I come before the Lord, I was saved. That's mine. Says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Well, yes, but that's Old Testament. And he is talking about his relationship with the Lord. He's not talking about his security in the Lord. Okay, so that's a little bit different. But anyway, um, we possess the right to claim the salvation. And like I said, anybody that would say, oh, I'm just going to give that up, isn't thinking clearly anyway. And the Lord is not going to let his name be blasphemed by de- denying somebody that did one time in their life call on Jesus. What, is it, what does it say when you call on Jesus in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? We'll go back there and I'll read it to you. What does it say? And, 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 you know, we don't want to make this difficult. The gospel is, you know, 1 Corinthians 3 and, 15, 3 and 4, right? That's the gospel. Christ died for my sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again according to the scriptures or on the third day according to the scriptures. But what does it say in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. That's it. You heard the word of truth. That's all that happened. You didn't go and give money to a church. You didn't go do some work. You didn't do anything. You heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you heard the word of truth and you believed, it says, where was I? Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's it. There's no work involved in there. There's no proof after salvation. There's nothing. You heard the word of truth, you believed, and you were given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee for the day of redemption. That's it. That's all that the Bible says on that issue. And that is yours, but it has also got the Lord's name on it, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and he will not allow his name to be blasphemed. Your salvation, that's right, absolutely. So anyway, it's just important that we get that right, because if we believe we can lose our salvation, what kind of a faith are we living in? What kind of a faith are you living in if you can lose your salvation? That's not grace. 
Grace is unmerited favor. Not, I'm going to give you unmerited favor now, but you're going to have to keep earning it after I give it to you. Then it was never of grace. Never. It was never of grace. It was always of works. You producing works in order to be saved from the very beginning. Okay. So, um, have I read that? Yes. Okay. So, so we're in verse 1-7. So, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Yeah, that's right. That's it? That's it. Okay, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Oh, yours said believers. Gotcha. Okay, uh, Achaia who believe. All right, so basically the same thing. They just use a verb instead right. of or whatever. Okay, um, this verse builds upon the words of the previous one. Together they read. This is both verses together. And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. There is a minor dispute between Greek texts here as to whether this should read examples, meaning the individual members of the church, or example, meaning the church as a whole. What is probably correct is that it is the individuals who are addressed. The words are plural in the Greek in verse 6. However, Paul could now be lumping them into one body and saying that as a group, they are now an example to the others. Either way, nothing affecting doctrine is lost in either option. Have a great night. Those at Thessalonica, having received the word and become followers of the Lord through that reception, had become excellent examples to the believers in both Macedonia and Achaia. They received the word in their affliction and were filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit in the process. The word example here is tupas. It is the basis for the modern word, the U becomes a Y, type. Thus, they were a model church for others to see and follow. When you see a U there, we would put a Y there and say typos. But anyway, typos, tupas. It is the basis for the modern word type. Thessalonica was an important city within Macedonia, and the example would be easily seen and emulated by other churches there. But their example went even as far as Achaia. That is the part of Greece where Corinth was the capital. The exemplary caliber of this group had become known even in those locations quite distant from them. And that would have been because Paul would have gone up there and bragged about them, you know? And if you go back to the book of Acts, what, is, what does it say originally about the people in Thessalonica? They were not as noble as the Bereans. That's right. Because the Bereans did what? They checked the book. They checked the book. All right. So even though the Thessalonians were not originally really well suited for whatever, uh, uh, you know, checking things out, as the Bereans were, eventually they became very well known, as it says. Read that again. Thessalonica was an important city within Macedonia, and the example would be easily seen and emulated by other churches there. But their example went even as far as Achaia. That is the part of Greece where Corinth was the capital, way, way distant. Okay. 300 so, miles. Yeah. 300 miles? About. Okay. It's a long way. See, I didn't know that. I don't have a map in my back pocket. So. Right. Oh, it says right there. Oh, he's got it. Good. Okay, anyway, that's uh, uh, yeah. know it all here. Have a great evening. Life application. If someone is passing through your town and stops at church on Sunday, 
What kind of a message would they carry on with them concerning you and your congregation? Would they say, what a great bunch of people. If you ever go through that town, stop in fellowship with them. Or would they have less friendly words to say about you? Be aware of visitors that come to worship and make an outward effort to treat them with the spirit of fellowship and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay. One eight. Okay, the Lord's <coughs> message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, do, we do not need to say anything about it. Okay. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Okay. The word for here supports his words of the previous verse, which said that those in Thessalonica became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. He then says to them that, this is Paul's words, from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Okay, they heard the word of the Lord, they believed, and now they are sounding forth that word. It's what a church should be doing. The word sounded forth, exegeo, is found only here in scripture. It indicates to resound, and it carries the idea of propagating. They had not just received the word, but they had sent it forth as well, telling the good news which they had believed. They were as the trumpet of God calling out the word. It, just imagine how excited they were. You see people that meet Jesus, and all of a sudden you just can't get them to shut up. All they want to do is just shout out about Jesus. And I know people like that. They come to the Lord, and it, no matter what you do, you can't stifle them, and who would want to anyway? But they're, you know, and some people that kind of wanes in them after a while, or they get redirected or whatever. But some people just never stop. What? Or they get kicked in the teeth. Or they get, yeah, get kicked in the teeth. That's right. Well, you know who who is seventy some years old and is exactly like that is Walter. Yeah. Okay, never stops telling about. He's just is on fire for Jesus. Is whenever he met him back in the Jesus Movement days at at Calvary Chapel. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy is just he's always talking about Jesus, constantly. So, you know, just there's some people like that out there. They just are, you know, they never, you can't get them to shut up. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way it is, okay? Um, uh, They were as the trumpet of God calling out the word, the Thessalonians. This is similar to what is seen of the word going out in Israel. Here's what it says here in Isaiah chapter 58. It says, come on, Charlie, good. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. In other words, get out there and tell the world. There's a whole world out there that needs to know that they are sinning and they have offended a holy God, the holy God. All right? If you don't get that message, you know, I was watching a, uh, I may mention this on Sunday, I may not. Somebody emailed me and they gave me a video of a church up in Connecticut. And... Uh, this guy said in this maybe 10 minute video now he's got himself there and he's got by him a female preacher which ought to tell you right away okay but they're standing there with their poofy garments on and you know it's one of these like uh, congregational churches is what it was and uh, uh, he said three times in this 10 minutes our 300 year old church our 300 year old tradition Three times he said it, and what I heard. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I finally clicked it off. He said that those three times to justify having a drag show in his church. 
And then, of course, the woman had to come up and support him and give her little piece on it. And that's when I clicked it off. Years? But what? Yeah. 300 years ago, they burned with the stake. Unbelievable. You know, I'm using our heritage to justify perversion. That's all they're doing. It's just in, insane. Uh, anyway, likewise, Jesus' voice is said to be like a trumpet in Revelation 1, verse 10. It is obvious that they possessed a, a, a desire concerning that which they had obtained. It was something they wished all others to believe in and grasp as well. Paul then goes even further than his words of verse 7 by saying, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Paul could see that the conversion of those in Thessalonica was so strong that wherever any one of them traveled, he would joyfully share the good news, even in areas which were not culturally similar. They became, as it were, a missionary church. Just as Paul had gone as a missionary to them, they followed the pattern as they went forth from their home. Paul then, sum, Paul then sums up the thought with the words, your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. It is a statement of the surety of the faith of those in Thessalonica. Their faith toward God was valid, and it then conformed to the words of the Great Commission given by Jesus. He said that his disciples should go and make disciples of all nations, and this is what they were willing to do. In the genuineness of their faith, Paul says, so that we do not need to say anything. Now, I understand that there are people in churches that say that what Jesus said in Matthew 28 18 does not apply to us, okay? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they do not baptize, and they don't believe that they are required to do those things. That was after, after Jesus' resurrection, and it was after his crucifixion, obviously, which was the introduction of the... Church. Well, the... Church. Begins with N... New Covenant. That's right. Okay. The New Covenant. There's only one covenant. You got the Old Covenant and you've only got one New Covenant. You don't have a New Covenant for Jews and a New Covenant for Gentiles. You have one New Covenant. Okay. That's it. That's all there is. And when Jesus said, go and do these things, it applies to everybody that is under that covenant. Okay. I, I just can't say it enough is how crazy hyper-dispensationalism is. How absolutely crazy it is. But you want to separate Jews from Gentiles? You know, it's, it's just a, another form of anti-Semitism that has crept into the church. Anyway. Um, if they do that, if they were able to do that, which side of the fence would Jesus be on? Yeah, hello. <laughs> hello. That's exactly very good point. Okay, their faith toward God was valid and it confer was confirmed by the great commission given by Jesus. Once again, he said that his disciples should go and make disciples of all nations. And this is what they were willing to do. Okay. Uh, Paul said after that, so that we do not need to say anything. This is a phrase Paul will use three times in this epistle, but nowhere else. It, it, thank you, Thor. It is an indication that where those from Thessalonica had gone and told the good news, there was no need to go and retell it. The word went forth, it went forth correctly, and it had met its intended purpose. Paul could feel satisfied in the surety of what the recipients of the message from those at Thessalonica had heard. They had no doubt about it. Life application. we got to finish because we're not going to have time for another verse. How excited are you 
you personally, you, whoever's listening to this or whatever, how excited are you about the gospel you heard and received? Are you willing to open your mouth and speak it out? If you've lost the fire you once had, redirect. Your words may be the only chance precious souls will ever have to hear the good news about Jesus. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yes, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the chance to share in your word. And uh, each one of us is on our own level in you, Lord. Each one of us is on our own uh, uh, desire to talk about you or to share the good news about you. But Lord, I would pray that anybody that is listening and anybody that uh, listens in the future, whatever, that they would have the desire to rekindle whatever fire was in them originally and that they would want to tell people about Jesus. They're not getting saved without that. There's no other way that it's going to happen. And somebody's got to do it, Lord, and you've given us the command to do so. So help us to open our mouths and to speak about the wonderful, glorious redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. How good you are to us, O oh God. How we love you and how we praise you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us in the giving of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, we'll say goodbye to the folks online right now because I know that the, uh, the sound won't come off and I'll back this thing up. We can wave to them. All right, let's see here.